0: Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. We'll be reading the whole chapter again um, this evening, but we'll be focusing mainly on verses uh, four to six um, with connections to the later parts of the chapter. But uh, before we read God's word together, let's go to the Lord and ask for his help. Let us pray. Oh powerful Father, we give you thanks and praise that you have revealed to us your word. Lord, that you have given to us all of scripture which has been breathed out for you, that it is profitable for us, and we pray this very evening that we would indeed profit from your word. Lord, that we would see that the Spirit is the one who gives life, that we understand that as we open up your word, the flesh is of no help to us this evening. But, Lord, that you would give us life through your Spirit, that you have spoken to us through the prophets of old. We pray that you do this through the work of the Spirit this evening in this very time we pray. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Jonah chapter 1. It's God's holy inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amati, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me, but Jonah arose and flee and to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So the ship threatened to break up. And then the marinas were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it from them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and it fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. And I know, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest had, had, has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For them, uh, could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not us lay not on us innocent blood for you o lord have done as you please as it pleased you so they picked up jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging then the men feared the lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the lord and made vows the lord appointed a great fish to swallow up jonah And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Jonah is quite a terrific and beautiful book. Uh, It is very well structured, as uh, you might even notice as we go through it, that you really have two parts to the book of Jonah. The first two chapters, one and two, And the latter two chapters, three and four. And both start the exact same way. Both start with God speaking to Jonah and giving him his mission. And then Jonah responds to that mission, either positively or negatively. But then you have God interacting with creation. And Jonah's interactions with Gentiles... Each of these sections finish as Jonah speaks to God. He speaks to him in the end of chapter 2, and then God and Jonah speaking together in the end of chapter 4. This book is quite a fascinating book, filled with many uh, deep questions. Uh, And as you read through it, as we read through it, you can notice and pick up on things and different things every single time. Read through the book and see how Jonah reacts to God and His Word. Read through the book and see how the Gentiles acts towards God and His world and His Word. Read through the book and see how God is gracious to Jonah. Read through the book and see how God is gracious to Gentiles. And you could read through the book on and on and again and seeing all these highlights and focuses as you read through this. Now one of the interesting ways to be able to look at this book, is to see how God treats Jonah. How God deals with Jonah. Now, as we looked at last time, last week, that Jonah was given a mission by God quite simply and clearly. Jonah had been given a direct revelation from God, what we would call today his revealed will. And today that would be, for us, the Holy Scriptures. However, we see Jonah reacting to his revealed will, this word given to Jonah. And he did not merely just ignore what God had told him to do, which is in itself disobedience. We tell our kids that delayed obedience is disobedience. But he did not even just do nothing, neutral response. But he deliberately rebels against God. He rebels against God's command, doing the exactly the opposite. Now, with our children, again, we have many various levels. You tell them to do something. They sit there as they pretend they don't listen. That, in some ways, is disobedience. Other ways, a rare occasion, they obey right away. But the third is the most drastic of these options. Is not that they do what you say, not that they don't do what you say, but they do the exact opposite of what you say. They run in the opposite direction. They make more mess rather than cleaning it up. And Jonah chooses the third. He chooses the option not to just not pretend like he did not hear, not to obey right away, but what he chooses is to run in the interesting direction. Now, interestingly, as we saw last week, he does not just merely choose to move to Joppa to run in an opposite direction. Again, Nineveh is about 500 miles away. He does not merely go 500 miles the other way. He seeks to be able to head towards Tarshish via a boat. As we saw last week, one of the reasons he does this, as we are highlighted in what we read tonight in verse 10, that he had told these sailors that he sought to be able to flee the presence of the Lord. Now we can start to speculate why. We're told why in chapter 4. But at this point in the narrative, we are told no more information. Why is he running? He's worried about going to proclaim to the Ninevites who would rip off his lips, torture him for the words which are spoken. Now the author which I believe is Jonah which is actually makes another interesting way to be able to read through the book thinking that the author is Jonah why would he write this book? Why do we have this book in the Holy Scriptures? We'll think and talk about that at another date but an important piece of how we read the book Jonah says several times that he seeks to be able to run away as he writes and records this in the scripture. He seeks to be able to run away from the presence of the Lord, to flee the presence of the Lord, to run away and flee the presence of the Lord. But notice here in verse 4, verse 3 ends, away from the presence of the Lord. But verse 4 begins, but the Lord. It's even more highlighted in the original language. Verse 3 ends with Yahweh. Verse 4 starts with Yahweh. So as much as Jonah starts to be able to try and flee the presence of the Lord, God's presence is still with Jonah. Even in all of Jonah's running and rebellion, the Lord still is able to show his power over the sea and his power over the prophet. Matthew Henry quite simply says that God sends a pursuer after him. God sends a pursuer after him. Now Jonah makes this statement later. That he says that who he is, what is his occupation, where is he from? He says that I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of the heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. But notice God's graciousness towards Jonah but also towards the Ninevites. He, he calls Jonah to be able to go proclaim the, and call the Ninevites to repentance. Now God does not merely just let Jonah run away. The God through His providence is going to accomplish the mission and the mean by the means in which He sets. He does this in this part, with a great storm that is around the sea, around the the ship. He does it also in verse 7 with the rolling of a die. Here you see the God's hand and graciousness towards Jonah and the Ninevites. Now we also must see that this is not pleasant for Jonah, not pleasant for the lives of the sailors. But here, the pursuer that God sends after Jonah through this great storm is actually quite uncomfortable for them. They all turn to their gods to try and ask for their gods to to forgive them of some evil, they call this, later in the chapter. They said, this evil that has come upon us. And we also must not assume that it is merely just a localized storm that merely just hangs around their own ship. That the whole sea around it would have some effect of this storm. So here is Jonah's actions of running and rebelling, and God is pursuing Jonah to be able to go and proclaim to the Ninevites. But in this, this journey of running and fleeing, it's not only Jonah's life that brings this evil upon the, marine, the, the sailors in the ship, But also the whole surrounding area, God's providence and sovereignty about all of this. But God is not only able to be able to control the sea to send this pursuer after Jonah, but He also knows the end, He knows the outcome. That these sailors on the ship, although they are fear and and exceedingly terrified at this moment, will soon be making sacrifices to God. Although this storm is not a good thing. Again, the the sailors call it great evil. God is able to use this storm to be able to bring about good of the worshipping sailors of the 120,000 in Nineveh who repent from their evil. Previously, Jonah, as the author, as he's highlighted, that he goes down into the belly of the ship. As the scene starts to zoom out on this big and glorious great storm, it gives this image of the ship about to break in half Verse 5 shows the great fear on the sailors' faces. Now, I'm in no form or way a sailor. I think the closest thing I've had is traveling on a small ferry or a tiny canoe. Maybe one of those pedal boats on the lake type thing. But for me to be afraid is not much. It doesn't take much for me to be able to uh, get my heart racing a single wave But these are not amateur sailors. This is not merely just a set of guys on a boat not knowing what they're doing. These men would have traveled this path many a time. They would have made a career out of traveling these waters. One commentator explains it this way. These sailors had experienced storms before. So why did this storm invokes such a religious response. Why did they turn from this storm and say, there has to be some evil that we have done that deserves this form of punishment? Perhaps there was a vague, uneasy feeling or a recognition that the suddenness of this storm involved a divine reaction. There's something about this great and powerful storm which zooms in on the sailors' faces which says, why? you then fall to your knees, asking your gods to take it away. Now again, here are the mariners praying to their own gods, throwing things over into the sea. These, these pagans are, are, are seeking to be able to find the reason for this storm that is there, but where is the person where this storm is actually caused from? The prophet who is sent by the Lord, the Lord who sent the storm. Where is the prophet? He is down in the ship, sleeping. Here you have the sailors in contrast to this disobedient prophet, these these sailors seeking to be able to do something, at least. The wind, the sea, all of these are turned into God's purposes, the die which will be in verse 7. These These sailors praying to their false and made-up gods. They treat their false and made-up gods with more honor than Jonah who does the real, true, and living God. Jonah's asleep in the belly of the ship. And they begin to throw things over to lighten the load. And again, Jonah reminds us where he is during this time. As they're clearing the lower parts of the deck, you can only assume that someone finds Jonah there asleep. And the captain comes and confronts him. And look at what he tells him in verse 6. What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And the captain comes and the captain comes and speaks to Jonah, who is asleep, and he says, Arise. The same word that God told to Jonah in verse 1 to get up, the captain now says to Jonah. Here you even see the captain enforcing God's hand. Not only he says, Arise, but call out, cry out to your God. The same Hebrew word which is found in verse 1 where. God tells Jonah, Arise, call out against the evil, which is in Nineveh. Here the prophet of God is asleep while the others are praying to their God. The heathen captain of the ship is telling the prophet to pray to God, to Yahweh, his God. But the exact thing that the heathens are looking for is the exact thing that Jonah is trying to run from. He's trying to flee the presence of the Lord. Perhaps he will give a thought to us that we may not perish. The captain is merely asking for mercy. See, you hear the story of God's power over nature, nature and even the sea, to be able to use nature that even obeys his voice as a rebellious prophet seeks to be able to flee God's voice. That God uses whatever he has ordained to come to pass, even a disobedient prophet. Now, in some ways, Jonah becomes an error, an example of error of what we should not do. He's called to be a prophet of the Gentiles who does not want to go to the Gentiles. Now what we see in the scripture is examples of the opposite. You see actually the example of Paul in Acts chapter 27. You read through that story and you see and you notice many similarities between this. Paul is now going and he's there in a shipwreck and you see many of the connections. Verse 13, the The wind blew gently, supposing they had obtained their purpose. They weighed anchor and sailed to Crete, close to the shore. But then, what you see is there a violent storm tossed, and they began the next day to jettison their cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. But, What I think you see in that example is Paul is actually not the disobedient prophet, but the obedient prophet going to the nations to be able to proclaim the gospel. See Paul in contrast to Jonah. Where Jonah is silent and asleep, Paul is the one who speaks. And I think here you see the story of the extent which Jonah is willing to go to be able to avoid his calling to preach to the Gentile nation. Not only do you see Paul as an example and opposite of Jonah's reaction of running and fleeing. But interestingly, the gospel accounts use this story in Jonah to show the connections to Jesus and his ministry. I think Mark makes this connection the clearest in chapter 4, verses 35 to 40. On that day and that evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, as he, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat. So the boat was already filling. And there was, he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea and said, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who, is, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Here Jesus, the great glorious prophet, comes, and he is willingly going to the other side, to the Gentiles, to be able to proclaim the good news of the gospel. It highlights Jonah's disobedience to run the opposite direction, and Jesus' obedience to be able to do what God has revealed to him. The storm arising, and where is Jesus? Jesus is asleep in the stern, in the belly of the ship. Where was Jonah asleep in the belly of the ship? The captain comes to be able to ask Jonah a question. The disciples come and ask Jonah the question. And interestingly, Mark at this point is, is not necessarily he's showing that the disciples are, are somewhat unbelievers. Peter has not made the great and glorious confession that is found in Mark chapter 8. Mark is showing their faith at this point. In Matthew, they're rebuked for their little faith. But Mark says that you still have no faith. He rebukes the wind. Notice there that Jesus is not only the Lord sending the storm on the sea, as Jonah is, Jonah is merely a prophet. But you hear now Jesus is the one who is the obedient prophet, but he also is the Lord who is able to be able to control the wind and the sea. As Jonah puts it in verse 9 that the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land and Jesus is the one who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah seeks to be able to run from God and lives a life of rebellion against God's revealed will. Jonah, though, is the one in need of the mercy, is seeking to be able to run from God because he would show mercy to others. He is called to go to a Gentile nation to preach the good news and call them to repent, but he does not go. Jesus, however, is the opposite. He is not only the obedient prophet, the obedient preacher, but he is God himself able to command the sea and the wind to obey his voice. The gospel accounts highlight Jesus' obedience, His power, but also his willingness to lay down his life. Now interestingly, in Jonah, there's a couple of themes that you might pick up on: is Jonah's reaction, and almost immediately, once an option is given to him, he, he often will willingly throw his life on the line to be able to protect this. In chapter, further on in this chapter, he suggests, "Why don't you throw me overboard?" Now, he does not know the outcome of what this might be. You must assume that he would assume that he was going to die. He would rather die in the the sea by drowning than go and preach the good news of the gospel to the Ninevites. In chapter 4, he actually says, it is worth it that I should die. It's better that I should die. However, Jesus is quite the opposite. Jonah would willingly die to avoid preaching the gospel. Jesus would willingly die to proclaim the gospel, to bring that gospel. He's willing to dive to save sinners rather than to avoid them. And again, Jonah is an interesting story of this disobedient servant. But in all of this, this disobedient servant is the one who is shown mercy. Time and time again. Jonah in all of his rebellion and all of his sinful actions seeks to be able to run from God, but God continually pursues him. It shows us the great extent that, that God goes to be able to redeem, to pursue his wandering sheep. That we are much like Jonah in every way. We can sit here and ridicule, point holes in his plan, but how often we turn and run the other way when we hear God's word. When we have God's revealed will and we think, how could we do this? I would much rather die than die to this sin. I would much rather live in this rebellion than repent. Jonah not just teaches us of ourselves, of our, of our own sinful nature, of what we seek to be able to do, to be able to avoid what God has commanded us to do, but it also shows us the need and the hope of the obedient shepherd who goes and collects the sheep from when we're wandering. Christ, the one who is able to calm the storm. Christ, the obedient one who has come to be able to obey all that God has commanded him to do. We see in this glorious story the extent of man's heart to be able to rebel against God, but God's heart to be able to claim that rebellious sinner. We see God's heart for mission to be able to make and bring about that promise of going forth and proclaiming that good news to the Ninevites. We see God's ability to be able to control all things that He might be able to accomplish His means, even in the midst of man's rebellion. God's ability and His sovereignty to be able to have His word fulfilled. Let us read this story and let us turn to God's mercy instead of running from it. Let us see God's hand at work in our lives rather than denying it. Let us seek to be able to obey His commands to bring Him the glory, but also let us see our need for Christ who obeys God perfectly and follow in His footsteps. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Let us pray. A gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise for this very interesting book of Jonah. Lord let us not be quick to be able to read through this book and think of all of Jonah's mistakes Lord but let us see our own sinful folly for that we see in the heart of Jonah is the, the seed of every sin which lies within man Lord the, the the desire to be able to live a life outside of what you have revealed to us in your word to be able to, to do what you have not told us to do what you have not told us to do and not to do what you have told us to do Lord, help us to see our own rebellion, to be able to flee from you, but also your great mercy and your extent of which you go to be able to reclaim sinners like ourselves. Lord, let us give all praise and glory and honor to you. Let us not seek to be able to run from your mercy, but towards your mercy. Lord, help us to do that, for we know that our pride and arrogant hearts are prone to do so. Pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at SevenspringsPresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.